1: Well, welcome to the Amy Bird Podcast. That's about right. (laughs) Oh, wait, I'm sorry. weekly dose of militant feminism. I have (laughs) two balding and bitter co-hosts, and we are the mortification of spin.
2: I'd just like to say I am the baldest and the most bitter of the two of us. I'm I'm proud (laughs) of that fact. Proud of that fact.
1: Okay, well, we've established that hierarchy. I have the most hair, and I am the most joyful co-host Amy Bird. and Since
3: when? The most joyful? Yeah, oh, it's me obvious. Sure, she gets,
2: Todd, <laughs> no of content. course she's joyful. She gets to work with us. We oh, have to work with her. True. I mean, I come on. I hadn't thought that of it that way. That was a good
1: one, Carl. You got me there. Okay, so I'm with my co-host, Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. and We have been answering some listener questions you guys have sent in. Todd kind of threw a bone out on Facebook and got, I don't know, 62 or something different questions. So we're trying to answer some of those and you guys are stomping us on some, maybe we'll see. Um, So I'm going to throw it over to you, Todd and and see if you can give us some good questions.
3: Yeah, we, we, um, we have gotten some really good ones. Some of these questions are actually whole episodes that we, that we need to do a little prep on uh, because they were Some of these were quite uh, questions that, that, that that involve quite a bit of, of prep and some thought. And so we'll be, We'll be uh, dealing with a few of those in some later episodes, um, but ones that I think we can handle in uh, at least to our own satisfaction in a quicker way. Uh, so, so this one was good. It was a request that we um, give a few recommendations of of, of what this uh, listener called classics must reads, uh, books that are, are old, uh, the author's long dead, what would be a, a manageable list of Mm. of our classics must reads is, is liam
2: Gollinger still alive liam is still <laughs> alive and oh, so, so we can't recommend any. Facility. yeah yeah, yeah and that's we're, a
3: surprise actually he doesn't
1: yeah. like to write a lot I mean, he's either. very old he is <laughs> he is
3: very very old isn't yes he? yes and he's not he aging well. <laughs> and so and carl he's obviously so carl you guys are still jealous alive. of liam <laughs> <Us and including. laughs> yeah okay he's
2: like, he's like the new daryl hart on this program like, yeah. this
3: is going to run, run
2: and run
1: we're gonna we're gonna get all kind of
3: mileage out of uh, i'll
1: stand up for you liam
3: i yeah. was
2: gonna i was gonna recommend liam golliger how to choose gospel centered pants but uh, obviously that's
1: he's still alive so
2: yeah but yeah. well, so, he is uh, at the time of
3: recording i mean who
2: knows what could happen
3: that's this. true that's <laughs> true Jesus. liam hang it's in terrible. there we're, we're rooting for you <laughs>
2: Can we record a Liam section just in case he passes on? <laughs> we, yeah, we need it to do we,
3: it's, 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 man, this. Man, is, this, is, this is really on the edge of appropriateness. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Carl, uh, no part yes. of this. Yes. What, what's a classic must-read from you?
2: Uh, well, of course, as a historian, most of what I read is written by dead people. Right. In fact, most of what I re- read is written by dead white guys. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not very popular these days. Oh. I would say... Yeah, the, as I look across at my shelf over there, the, the book that jumps out at me is The Church of Christ by James Bannerman. Hmm. That, I think, is a very, very good – it's long, like yeah. a lot of books by dead people are. Mm-hmm. It's a long book. But James Bannerman, it's a, it's a wonderful study of the biblical doctrine of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, did we do a I
1: podcast mean, on that once, too?
2: We did. And, we did. I mean, Bannerman is Presbyterian, but there's much there that Congregationalists – Uh, would find helpful. A lot of it is on just generic teaching on the church Mm -hmm. without it being specifically Presbyterian polity. So Bannerman I would go for. um, Yeah, that would be my first choice at this moment. Give a second one. Uh, I think Augustine's Confessions. Mm -hmm. It's a toss up for me between Augustine's Confessions and Pascal's Pensee. Both of them fall into the same broad kind of thinking. They're separated by over a thousand years, of course. But in terms of my thinking about uh, what it means to be a human being, my, my thinking about uh, culture, my thinking about human psychology, I would say those two books have probably had as much of an influence on me from the Christian perspective as, as anything.
3: Okay, good. Amy, who's a dead author that you have particularly
1: Well, yeah, that's hard. I, I'm really bad at picking um, favorites, but mm-hmm. – you know, Augustine's City of God is one that I've gone back to a lot. Oh, yeah. And, and that's just a staple for me. It's interesting because, you know, as that was written in his context of history, I just see it's so applicable now. Mm-hmm. But um, also, I just want to interject. I know a lot of women couldn't be published um, up until more contemporary times at the at the rate that we are now. But one that I love, a collection of writings is called Church Mother, the Writings of a Protestant Reformer in the 16th Century Germany, and it's on Katharina Zell. And that's just a really cool book. I like that a lot. So she's dead, Mm
0: -hmm. and and
1: they're her writings. It's a compilation of her writings. Um, Same with Gregory of Nyssa's book on Macrina. Really good. Um, But then also, I would say, just as you are doing Bible study, and looking for commentaries, it's so easy to, you know, get the latest mm-hmm. commentary, but I also like to compare to, um, you know, dead guys mm-hmm. and, and girls. And so, right now, I'm, I'm kind of going deeper into the Song of Songs. So, Gregory and this again, and Augustine and St. Bernard of Clairvaux, like those are some that I'm reading right now mm-hmm. who are not alive, mm-hmm. who have contributed to Song
2: of Songs. I was going to add also, there's a, a great little devotional that Nick Needham, I think, put together, published by Christian Focus Publication, which is a daily devotional drawing on early church fathers. Each yep. month draws upon a different father. So you get, a in some ways, a mini theology of 12 great early church fathers working, yep. through, uh, working through the year. I would recommend that as an excellent – in fact, I can see you're holding it there in front of the camera, Todd. Look at yep. that. Yep. It's got a nice kind of faux leather cover mm-hmm. it's just and it's the sort, it's small enough. You can you know, throw in a bag when you're traveling. It's yep. a nice, convenient devotional.
3: It's really good. Um, of course I have to echo, uh, Augustine's confessions. I, that's just one of the ones that I just pull off routinely from my shelf. And I'm at the point now where I can just open it up at different places and reread certain sections at different times. And it's, it's really just, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It should be a classic. Um, I've also, just in the last five years or so, um, started reading um, the Cappadocian Fathers, and I love reading Gregory of Nazianzus. And you can find a lot of his stuff in really small volumes these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you just uh, Google him or, or, or go to uh, Amazon and put his name in, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, um, his uh, theological orations, Easter orations, that those kinds of are just really, really wonderful stuff. And, and any three of, of the Cappadocian Fathers is going to be great in terms of, of theology in service to devotion and, uh, and doxology. It's just beautifully written stuff, uh, challenging intellectually, uh, very rich spiritually. And so I love that. I, I would also, um, one of my favorites from the Puritan era, maybe my favorite, the one that I've read the most, I guess, would be A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. I I love to read Watson. He's my favorite. I think he's probably my favorite Puritan to read. And um, his commentary on uh, the uh, the Confession of Faith is just excellent. But A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson is great. I I
2: should also add as well that a lot of the early church stuff is available for free online newadvent.org is a great website i use it for my classes with students but also a number of these small publishing platforms that you can get to via amazon now publish nicely bound and relatively inexpensive early church fathers Mm -hmm. translations Mm i don't know if it's creative space or somebody like that but you can you know for Mm. for 15 bucks you can get a fat volume of of early church writings pretty decently Mm -hmm. bound uh if you're like me and prefer reading from a book rather than off the screen, yeah. um, it, it, you no longer have to go to obscure libraries or pay a lot of money to get decent early church fathers readily yeah. available.
3: And, and let me just throw one more out. I mean, we could do this all day probably. I know, but,
2: I feel like I can keep going.
1: But I've got, you
3: know, I mean, here sitting on my desk at home, you know, I have the four volumes of okay. Christian's Reasonable Service by Wilhelmus O'Brockel. Mm-hmm. And again, it's four volumes. It's a lot there. Um, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a Brockles big, you know, systematic theology basically. And, but it's so, it's so good and it's so rich. And it's one of those things where if you look at it, you go, okay, I'm not going to read that this month, but you don't have to approach (laughs) it that way. Approach it from the standpoint of, you know, I'm just going to start with the first volume. I'm going to pull it off and, you know, read two or three pages a day or in the evening before I go to bed or something. It's, it's, it's just, it's beautifully written theology. And I, I love it.
2: You are channeling your inner Joel Beakey, man. I'm, I'm
3: impressed. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Yeah, in fact, I have, yeah. the, I have the, the Reformation uh, Heritage Books, yeah. uh, a four volume set. It's, it's just wonderful.
2: Yeah. Shout yeah. out for Reformation well, Heritage that's Books, that's actually. That's they yes. do a great job reprinting. Yes, they do. Yeah. Very good job reprinting. Mm-hmm. And I'd also throw in Bavink if you're looking for a oh, standard oh, yeah, definitely uh, systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Burkhoff is good as a dictionary, Bavink is. Beautifully constructed as a dog. Yes. It
1: really is. I yes. go to that one a lot. And I just want, I know I said this before on the podcast, but the Valley of Vision.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. Yep.
1: I go to that yep. to help me pray yep. so often. Absolutely. And I just think that that is such a gift to the church.
3: Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I keep that one on my desk um, in my office uh, at the church. It's just always laying there because I like mm-hmm. to just go to it sometimes. Well, well, very good. Obviously, we could, uh, we could go on and on in that, but I hope that that will give you all some, some ideas on some great stuff to read. Uh, let's not be chronological snobs and only read people from the contemporary era, but see what we can learn, oftentimes even better things from people who are no longer with us. And again, if Carl mentions your name and you're still alive, uh, your days might be numbered. So be oh, careful. Yeah. Be careful.
1: Oh, wait. We don't have that on the podcast, though, so do we? Oh, that's true.
3: That Carl, would you like to explain yeah, that? I want, it, to, I want it, our listeners to hear this.
2: I was teaching a course at Grove City in January, the J-Term course, and uh, and I mentioned three men, three living. Well, they were living at the time I mentioned them. Uh, Neil Peart from Rush, the rock band Rush, Christopher Tolkien, son of J.R.R., and Roger Scruton, to me, one of the greatest writers and thinkers of the last 50 years and within 24 48 hours of me mentioning them each one of them died Mm. i have this nemesis power so
3: (laughs) so so if you're having a problem with anyone that's significant yeah just call call, call up or email him hey and say mention this person in one of your classes
2: i'm just thinking if anything happens to liam <laughs> when this, I, I'm going to feel so guilty. I'm going to feel I'm so guilty. I'm not
1: going to forgive you. I'm going to come over there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, okay, here's uh, here's another question I thought was good and practical. As we think about our our church membership, as we think about um, the, the 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 church where we can serve best. And, and we're never going to be in a church, perhaps, where where we agree with every single thing that's said or happens. It's just that just doesn't happen here, south of heaven. But how much how much doctrinal difference can can we bear and, and still stay in a church in a healthy way? Yeah. At, w- w- at what point do our differences, or or is it or is it less amount of, of how many and more amount of of which doctrines, which if we if if we if we disagree, it just no longer becomes wise to stay in that church? What do you think the best way to tackle that question would be?
2: It's hard to generalize, partly because it's never just purely a doctrinal thing. In my experience, the issue of fitting into a church is not just a question of the doctrinal statement on paper, but if we were to just isolate that particular strand, I would say one has to understand there's a hierarchy of doctrines. Uh, at one end, you know, you've got the doctrine of God. You've got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit Trinity. At the other end, for example, one might put, you know, attitudes to the civil magistrate, establishment clause, or non-established. And between those two, you know, where do you draw the line? Well, that's that. That's a, a difficult one to do. But I would say, if the doctrinal difference is such that the actual gospel is being fundamentally compromised, then a a, a line is clearly being crossed
3: at that particular point. Yeah, that ought to be a a no-brainer at that point. But
2: but then there are other issues. Say, for example, you're in a Presbyterian church, but you're a Baptist. Mm -hmm. And a Baptist church opens up half a mile from your front door. Mm -hmm. And you can go and serve there in a fuller capacity. Mm-hmm. And you can in the Presbyterian church, you never hold office. There are certain, You never teach Sunday school, for example, right. perhaps at this. Maybe in that situation, the issue of baptism, it, it's not one where one would separate and say, these people I'm leaving behind are not Christians. Right. But it might be a case of, you know, I can serve the body of the church, the Lord's people better by moving from this church where I disagree on baptism to this church where my views are in conformity with those of the Mm -hmm. leadership. I would see those as two different scenarios, one where the gospel's at stake, and the other one is really a question of of service and where can I I best serve the Lord?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I I will say Al Mohler has written a a good article on Mm -hmm. this years ago. Um, something called putting our doctrine through triage or something mm-hmm. like yep, that.
3: Yeah. yeah, Theological triage.
1: Theological oh. triage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he talks about the difference between like first order doctrines, which like you're saying, Carl, doctrine of God, the Trinity, Apostles creed
3: basically. Yeah.
1: yeah. Basically the apostles creed, um, justification, authority mm-hmm. of scripture. Like those are all first order doctrines. Mm-hmm. And then second order doctrines would be like baptism, female ordination, I think, yeah, he definitely puts that in second order. So those might separate us in worship, but we still look right. at one another's brothers and sisters. Yeah. And then like third level would be things like um, eschatology. You know, you can be in the same church and have differences.
3: Pre-rapture. Pre-rap- you know, yeah. Yeah. That
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about, Carl, it is interesting because there's Baptists at our church, even though there are Baptist churches around, right. mm-hmm. around but they're more um, fundamentalist Baptist churches and, and or dispensationalists or right. um Arminians, yeah. so mm-hmm. because they have a more Calvinistic theology, um, yeah. even though they still hold to believers only baptism, yeah. they find a better fit in right. our church. Yeah. So and I mean and those are a matter of I think mm-hmm. I don't know if conscience is the right word, but yeah. you're kind of weighing what's more it's a
2: judgment call. Yeah, yep.
1: it's a judgment call. So mm-hmm.
2: And that's why I said it's rarely as simple as yeah. Okay, where, where, where do the doctrinal lines, where do they need to be drawn? It's rarely mm-hmm. that simple. There usually are usually other facts play. Also, I would say that America has, at least at the moment, in some ways, almost the opposite problem. There are so many churches that it's actually so leaving a church is, is a relatively easy thing to do. Right. You know, i lived in Philadelphia for many though. years. Mm-hmm. You could leave a Presbyterian church and, hey, presto, find another almost identical mm-hmm. Presbyterian church to yeah. go to. Mm-hmm. You go to somewhere like Britain where you, you, you may live in a town where there's only one gospel, basic gospel preaching church.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, now, on one hand, that that's because the gospel has, has suffered in, in mm-hmm. Britain and has shrunk in terms of its witness. On the other hand, I think it probably makes you take church unity and the unity of Christians a bit more seriously than one might otherwise have done because church isn't simply a consumer choice at that point. Uh, it becomes man, you know, They may be a bit more fundamentalist than I am, but they're the only faithful gospel-believing Christians in Mm -hmm. town. I should be there supporting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it it varies from country to country as well, America being somewhat unusual at the moment in that we have a proliferation of churches. So church unity uh, and uh, and church commitment can be relatively cheap things, Mm -hmm. I think.
1: Yeah, another issue I think is that there are churches that capitalize – on issues that shouldn't even be that big a deal, like where we should be able to have differences of opinion within the same body. They should be like more third order issues, or even if they're categorized as that you've got churches, you know, that become more political, like, and identified with a political party. Mm -hmm. You've got churches, you know, who maybe have a a theonomy, a theonomist tone to them, or you've got churches that have a social justice, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, and they, hold that up as a mm-hmm. a big teaching yeah. element you know yeah. and so these aren't even like first second or third right. order issues that mm-hmm. all of a sudden become like the driving force in a church right.
3: and what happens i think often is that that those two kinds of categories of churches the perhaps the uh the heavily engaged you know social justicey type church or uh, what would typically be a a very conservative theonomist type church Th- those Those very quickly become related in a lot of ways to they do. very important theological distinctions, so for instance, if you go to a a social justice type church if they if they continue to progress in that direction they they very well might start embracing things like liberation theology, which then really tinkers around with the doctrine of the trinity, tinkers around with the doctrine of atonement, and so they, they often bleed over into those real primary areas of
1: well, I think the mistake on both sides of the coin is it's not gospel-centered.
3: Mm-hmm. It becomes yeah more uh, centered on things that hopefully w- we can either a- agree to disagree on or at least just agree to, to be in a different church without anathematizing the other. Yeah. Um, how about this then? Um, be- because Presbyterian churches, and I know – certainly in the PCA you'd be hard pressed to find a PCA church that doesn't have baptistic members and again for for all kinds of good re- reasons amy you mentioned some you know if i'm a if i'm a calvinistic baptist and and i have to choose between a more arminian baptist church and and a presbyterian church i'm going to choose the presbyterian church just because i've got more agreement with them on really high level doctrinal issues
1: well in a presbyterian church will welcome you in the other Absolutely. way around it's a little harder if you're a presbyterian you couldn't, be, you couldn't
3: be a member unless you were baptized yeah. by immersion as a believer that's right and then the other thing that i think is a pitfall that that uh, you know i would just warn um elders in the pca against is is man i'm really glad I'm I'm so thankful for the, for the Baptistic members of my church. They, they serve well, they're active. They have a lot to contribute. They're full functioning members of the church. They can't hold office, but other than that, um, they're, they're high functioning members of the church. And, but I also, you know, they know that we're not going to soft pedal our understanding of baptism in order to make them, you know, feel more comfortable. And, and, and the ones that I've talked to you know, very much understand that, but but I I just want to warn because I know that there are PCA churches, and again this is anecdotal, but I know it's out there, where where they they say less and less about baptism, just because they they, they don't want to hurt the feelings of a Baptist member, and and that's the other side of this that that we that we need to be careful to uh, to avoid.
2: But here here okay, let me. Uh... Throw a wrench in the work. I know, I, know exa- right. I
3: know exactly. Let's I know exactly it. what you're going to do.
2: Westminster Confession yep. of Faith, twenty-eight mm-hmm. five. Although it be this is talking about infant baptism. Mm-hmm. Although it be a great sin to condemn or neglect this audience. Yet grace and salvation. Dot 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 dot. Mm-hmm. dot. Mm-hmm. Not to baptize your children according to the confession is a great sin. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this pops up in the OPC uh, New Horizons magazine mm-hmm. every five or ten years. Yeah. There'll be a bust-up about, shouldn't we be excommunicating
3: mm-hmm. right.
2: Baptist yeah. members who won't baptize their children? Right. My emotional instincts are no, and, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I would want a soft pedal on that. But I don't take an exception to that clause in the confession. And, you know, it's one thing to, to say that a church is soft pedaling on the teaching of infant baptism, but that clause seems to indicate that those of us who aren't disciplining parents of children who don't have them baptized we're actually soft peddling on the practice of infant baptism yeah. so so i might I, mean, I feel awkward about that todd
3: what do you think no well it, it, it can be awkward the way the way that i approach it is um i i approach this topic i think pastors ought to approach this topic with a lot of patience and pastoral care and and willingness to to take time to instruct on the issue Um, because if we are going to welcome credo baptists believers only baptism um, into our church then we need to be patient with working with them uh, to to change their mind But, but we I mean I tell the folks who are Baptists the ones that I have conversations with I want to change your mind on this and one of the things that I say when I baptize a covenant child is that um, this is the practice that has been given to us by God um, from the time of Abraham when the covenant sign was placed upon the the, the, the infants of God's people. Uh, in Abraham's time, of course, the infant sons. But 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 the point I, I make is that this was so ingrained into the identity of the people as, as an act of obedience to God to not withhold the sign of the covenant from the young ones that we have to take this very, very seriously. And we've had just in my time here, we've had a lot of uh, folks convert over to to baptism. They they've read the material I've given them. They've heard the teaching. They hear the instructions every time before we baptize, and and a number of them have have crossed over and, and have seen that it actually is a biblical uh, practice. But I, I would say if 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 your attitude is going to be um, to begin to, to welcome into membership believers only baptist. Christians, who can take with good conscience your membership vows and then begin immediately disciplining them, then don't welcome them into membership.
2: Mm-hmm. This uh, this is one of the reasons, actually, I argue in, in my book, Creedal Imperative, for the non-subscription of members.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. that
2: uh, I think uh, that's in that's that. the Reformed churches, typically members come in and subscribe to the the three forms. Right. And I have a number of problems with that, but one of them, of course, would be that uh, Baptists, you know, One would be bringing them into membership and then serving disciplinary papers on them at the same worship service, essentially. Exactly. So, yeah, it's where I think that the Presbyterian flexibility and distinction between the criteria required for membership and the criteria Mm -hmm. required for office bearing allows us that space, that logical space and that space of time that Todd is talking about relative to pastoral care and pastoral persuasion.
1: The bigger question is who gave Carl that flashlight and how well, do we get cool? Katrina to take it from him? <laughs> well, it.
2: For the first time ever, I started doing PowerPoint this year. So I bought myself oh, a laser man. pointer. Oh, oh, and um, Now I've got a proper, I've got not the one I have at work. Is not just a laser pointer, but it, it like remotely switches the slides for me. Um, so I'm having a blast so I've got this one at home just to muck around with (laughs) I like to sit at night and put the red dot on Katrina's forehead or the end of her nose she has not
1: taken that (laughs) Uh, from you yet
2: she has not taken it from me no I'm like a cat you know I follow the light (laughs) round but no. hey my powerpoints are going well though oh day. that is so exciting you know? to hear it's commented I, on I, I choose great pictures so i've had rush frank sinatra uh,
3: well I, I i couldn't be more excited about your powerpoint yeah,
2: even though the picture of myself <laughs> as a little boy and the, <laughs> the, the students agreed that i was the cutest baby they'd ever seen doubt no they doubt about, it.
3: No yeah, doubt about yeah. it they yeah. get
1: an a for agreeing
3: yeah, yeah exactly
2: I was demonstrating eternal generation, showing me with my grandpa. <laughs> so the reason why, why Jesus why Christ is generated and not made is that we mm-hmm. make things different to ourselves. We generate that which is the same. Wow. So important Trinitarian occasions. Oh, yeah. Trying to work a picture of Liam Golliger in places, yes.
1: uh, Well, you know, when they ask you about your, where you get your cool fashion yeah.
2: from. I have to say, yes, from an aged Presbyterian
3: minister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more question. One more question. Um, so this has been asked to me in, sev- in, in several different forms by different folks. In light of issues of public safety, some of the church shootings that we've, we've seen, um, should churches be uh, gun-free zones or, or should churches uh, welcome into their gatherings um, one or more people with a concealed carry license to provide protection for those in church against the unlikely, uh, but it has happened, uh, instance of a, of a shooter walking into the church.
1: Should churches have a nayara?
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: Should churches <laughs> no, have a easy. Law. No, that's easy. No.
1: That could be against the law. I mean, not everyone can have, you know, easily a yep. license for concealed weapons. So, yep. I mean, yep. just where you live and what the laws are. Well, you certainly
2: want people, A, to obey the law of the land. Right. Right. B, I would say that a lot of the evidence suggests that in a shooter situation, the only people who are really any use are those who've been properly trained by the military or police. So I would say it makes sense for a church to have a couple of point guys who are armed and know what they're doing. I'm not sure that you can stop (laughs) just – members turn it up, mm-hmm. pack it. I mean, I, I just yeah, assume I mean, like, somebody's got a weapon. I just pray it isn't, you know, is it Nayara, please? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, yeah with, so... She carries so, a bazooka, you know. So
3: so in terms of the law, obviously, uh, if, if you're carrying a concealed weapon in a, in a state. And I don't know all the different laws and say, I know in, in my state, Virginia, you are allowed to carry. Concealed I thought they were weapon. trying to make firearms illegal
0: in Virginia.
1: Trying to
3: train, well, that, 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 yeah. that's, that's Northern Virginia, which is a different state uh, apparently from the rest <laughs> of, of Virginia. Um, we, we don't claim them and I don't think they claim us, but, um, if you live in a, in a, in a state that, uh, where it's legal to to carry a concealed firearm and you walk into a, let's say a conservative Baptist or a conservative Presbyterian church, uh, determined to to shoot somebody that you're, you're probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer uh, for one thing, because any one of those churches is going to have more than one person with a, with a concealed uh, uh, firearm. I I would say this, that um, I I live in the Shenandoah Valley, heavy, heavy um, uh, Anabaptist uh, Mennonite Influence, historic Mennonite influence, and so there, you, you meet a lot of folks that are pacifists, to where even quote, you know, resisting an evildoer is wrong. And so, to to help people understand, who don't have much background in, in knowing what that's like, um, you will meet Mennonites in our community, and I'm not talking about the people who just ride in in carriages and you know they they don't they don't do distinctive dress, but they're they're active in their Mennonite church and culture, who who believe it's wrong to lock your doors at night because that represents um, resisting an evildoer, which Jesus said not to do. Um, so obviously we would say that's just really bad hermeneutics. I've, I've talked with Mennonite husbands who say that were uh, somebody to break into their home to harm their wife or children, they would not resist them physically from doing so. Um, now, what we would say is that's not loving your family well. That's not loving your your very first and primary neighbor well. Um, and then I, I apply the same principle Uh, to those that the Lord entrusts to us on the Lord's day morning, that if you're able legally um, to have some people who can handle a firearm very responsibly and safely um, that it's not a bad idea. I don't think it's a command to do that, obviously, but that there's nothing inherently unbiblical about having a means to respond to an evildoer, an armed evildoer walking into your church. I think that's, that's one of the ways that, that, potentially we we can love our neighbor well. Thoughts?
2: Well, I had a situation once where there was somebody in my congregation whose stability was very much in question and had a long standing military background. Mm -hmm. And I did arrange for somebody else who's in the congregation and connected to the military to sit behind him in church in case Mm -hmm. he decided to to take, particularly take a pop at me, I think yeah. I was definitely the guy in the frame. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. Well, as I, I would just say that, you know, just being able to shoot straight doesn't make you a yep. good person in a combat situation. That's right. Uh, the ability to actually discern who's shooting whom and who the bad guy is, that's something that requires more than just pointing a gun at a target. Right. And right. that's why military guys, policemen, etc., worth their weight in gold on the security front. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: I do have one thing to add.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I don't know if you know this about me. By the way, I've this looked-
2: question will have alienated just about everybody listening in my home country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet.
0: <laughs> so.
1: um, I like humorous T-shirts. Yes. And there's a great one for this question. And okay. It's, it says, on it, it says the right to bear arms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a person... With bare arms.
2: Oh, Todd and nice. his wife beater. Oh my goodness. We just got a glimpse of it. Oh yep. dear.
1: Yep. He oh. did not just flex.
3: Yep. It's,
2: it's, I oh think my the gosh. internet just broke. My
1: it's,
3: <laughs> it's my day off. It's my day off. So I'm oh, wearing my, my and, and Carl, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. This is not a wife beater. It is a sleeveless t-shirt.
2: If yeah. that helps you sleep at night, man. it is a sleepless. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, I'll, this is what I'm going to do then. Uh, next week, That's or whenever we record, shit. what kind of an abomination! He's is on it now. When, whenever, whenever we record next, yeah. I will wear a wife beater, and it's okay. not going to be pleasant. <laughs>
1: Please, no! It is, okay. it is
3: not going to be pleasant. Do it. You need to go for the oh, skullets it. as
2: well. You're too bald for a mullet, but grow the skullitt out. I'll do it. Think it. I'll do it.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be good. That yeah, would be yeah, good. Yeah. Well, anyway, we hope that this last part has been particularly useful for you. Oh, yes. um, for those of you that want to, to, to email selfies to Carl in a, in a wife beater so that he can, <laughs> can know the difference between a, a sleeveless t-shirt and a wife beater, uh, please just let me know and I will send you his personal email address <laughs> so that you can flood him with that. Um, we're really glad that you joined us today. And uh, if you'll head over to our website, mortificationofspin.org. Uh, You will be able to uh, enter in to to win a copy of uh, Augustine's Confessions, uh, which are always worth reading. And so if you'd like to to get a copy of that for free, uh, you can head over to mortificationspin.org and enter to win that. Also, while you're there, keep in mind that we are a listener-supported podcast. And uh, if you would like to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to... uh, Provide this sort of content.
0: <laughs> um, then, Actually, well, if you want to pay them to make us go away, that do might be a more successful. That as well.
3: You know, it could be one of those things where you give the alliance <laughs> enough money that they no longer need mortification. Yeah, stuff. I keep
1: yes. saying this is like all going to end like Seinfeld.
3: Oh, yes, yeah. without so a doubt. The whole
1: town is going to come against us. They're all going to come against and us. We're yes. going to end up in jail.
3: We're going to end up in jail. Yes. You'll be so, in the
2: kitchen, Amy, peeling those potatoes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so if you're interested in, in us meeting that sort of end, uh, then it may help for you to, to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. But until next time, it was great to be with you today. Uh, look forward to speaking with you next time on Mortification of Spin.
0: I shot
3: I've got to get a glass of water real quick.
1: Okay. Is he wearing my wife beater? <laughs>
3: what? I have, a, I have
2: not Did dared ask. That? I'll have uh, to look. What about music? Yeah. I was going so to one about. One too. Goodbye, Papa. It's hard to die. <laughs> Remember that one? What is it? Seasons in the sun. That
3: well, hold it. Lost. What? What about something with a gun?
1: Janie's got a gun.
3: Janie's <laughs> got a gun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! That's I the, shot the
1: sheriff. I shot the sheriff. I shot the sheriff.
0: Oh, oh, that's a good one. There it
3: is. There it is.